Alright, it was a little bit of a silly video, wasn't it? I'm not quite sure how he convinced Sir Ian McKellen uh, to be in a scene like that. Uh, but uh, I think it actually gives uh, a pretty good explanation uh, of what it means to be a hypocrite. Uh, that definition of acting that Sir Ian McKellen gives uh, is pretty bang on what it means when the Bible says hypocrite. Uh, That word uh, really literally means to be an actor, one who wears a mask, a person who pretends to be someone that they're not. Uh, And that's the accusation that Jesus has levelled here at the Pharisees uh, and the teachers of the law. They're pretending to be something that they're not. That despite their words, uh, despite uh, the way they present themselves as being righteous and as being holy... Uh, as those people who are God's own people, we see that on the inside, they're the very opposite. Uh, And I don't know about you, I don't know how you felt uh, as Liam read that, uh, but there's definitely a part of me that loves Jesus sticking it to them. So there's not many things, I don't think, uh, that's more inclined to get your blood boiling uh, than blatant hypocrisy, is there? Uh, When you see the health guru, the guy who's always banging on about looking after yourself and and eating well, duck into KFC, oh, it gets us a little worked up, doesn't it? But of course, it's most distressing when we see, uh, in in more serious ways, when we see uh, things like some of the big hypocrisies we see in the church. Uh, It's the preacher who pushes us us to be pure. To live in purity than being caught out having an affair. Oh, it gets us, doesn't it? Uh, perhaps the most terrible example that's come to light recently uh, is those church leaders who preach God's love uh, and have been found to be an absolute evil, abusing kids. It's horrendous. Uh, and, and so it's not surprising uh, that we find that, that this hypocrisy is one of the key things that turn people away from Christianity. Uh, so recently, uh, this McCrindle survey came out uh, only a couple of years ago, uh, and it found that hypocrisy was the behaviour second most likely to turn people away from Christianity. And it resonates, doesn't it? It sounds right. Uh, notice the first is church abuse, which, uh, as we've just seen, is a particularly terrible brand of hypocrisy. Uh, and so rightly here in chapter 23, Jesus comes down hard on these Jewish leaders and their hypocrisy. And if you've ever heard people say that Jesus didn't judge uh, or, or tried to sum up Jesus as, as simply being gentle Jesus, meek and mild, uh, then you need only to look at this passage and see that there's something missing in their assessment of Jesus, isn't there? Uh, as we heard Liam reading through, uh, Jesus is just absolutely scathing, isn't he? He doesn't hold anything back at all. He calls them blind fools. Greedy and self-indulgent. Uh, that they're dead inside. He tells them judgment is coming. Uh, and we've seen it coming over the last few weeks, haven't we? Over these last few chapters, uh, Jesus has been showing them what God wants of them. Showing them the right way to respond to him. Uh, and we've seen these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, at each step of the way, uh, ignoring him. They've carried on this corrupt living. Uh, And so this is the final and appropriate response from Jesus. 
After this, we, we don't see Jesus interacting again with the Pharisees uh, right up until he's arrested and killed. This is kind of his last uh, public uh, 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 speaking, his last public uh, uh, talking to these guys. Um, now, as we hear of that, as we see this quite uh, harsh rebuke uh, as he finishes off his public note, uh, it is good to, to realise uh, that however scathing Jesus' words are here, it's not what he wanted. This is not uh, the conversation Jesus wanted to be having with people. It's not his desire. His desire was that people would respond appropriately. Uh, it comes out really clearly right at the end of the passage in verse 37. Uh, he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent, sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. It's actually quite a beautiful picture in amongst this, this terrible rebuke, isn't it? Uh, he longs for them to have the right response, but instead uh, he must give judgment. And it's a chilling warning, isn't it? Uh, a warning that we too need to take on board. Uh, because the danger of hypocrisy is just as real for us as it was for them. Uh, and so we need to make sure that we don't assume like the Pharisees did that we're okay, uh, that we've got it together. Uh, we need to make sure that we hear this warning of Jesus. Um, the way we're going to do that uh, is we're going to look first uh, at the heart of the problem for the Pharisees. What, what was at the centre of this hypocrisy? Uh, then we'll look through these seven woes that Liam read out for us. Uh, next we'll think about what that might look like here and now. How does that hypocrisy play out in our world? Uh, and finally, we'll wrap up by thinking about what should we do? How do we protect ourselves from that kind of hypocrisy in our own lives? Um, so before I do all that, before we go through that, uh, I'm going to pray that God would use my words and help me to speak his truth. Lord, we want to thank you that we can be here today. We thank you uh, for these words from, from what you've given us. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, as harsh as they seem to be, as hard as they are, that we would hear them uh, and that they would shape our lives and uh, that we would steer away from the hypocrisy that Jesus talks about. Uh, help us to live humble lives for him. Help us to hear what you have to say to us tonight. Amen. Amen. All right, so we start there at the heart of the problem. Um, now, of course, we know that the problem is hypocrisy, but what does it look like? Uh, we get a really good picture in, in the bit of the chapter that Liam didn't read. So we'll read uh, the first three verses together. So verses 1 to 3. It says this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Now Jesus starts there by pointing out their position. Uh, that they sit in Moses' seat. They are the authority in Jerusalem. They claim to be God's own representatives. To be his voice for the people. But despite that, they do not practice what they preach. Um, now... I don't think that Jesus is actually saying here that the Pharisees are an accurate voice, that you should do what they say, just don't do what they do. Um, see, Jesus is quite critical here and elsewhere of the Pharisees' words. Uh, he even points out their misteaching in verse 4, in that little bit that we read. 
Uh, so his instruction to do what they do not do what they say and not what they do seems to be a bit of a tongue-in-cheek instruction. His point clearly, uh, however we look at it, is that these teachers who claim to be Moses' successors, uh, the official interpreters of the Bible, don't really represent God at all. Uh, and worse, they don't even put their own words into practice. And not only do they fail to represent God as they should, um, but verse 4 tells us that they go beyond what God teaches. They tie up heavy burdens and put them on others' shoulders. Uh, it's a direct contrast to what Jesus himself offers. Uh, so we read in Matthew 11, uh, we saw it in, in when we were at that point in the series, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's quite a contrast to the heavy burden that the Pharisees put on people, isn't it? And the Pharisees uh, think that they are doing the righteous thing, that they're trying to protect the law, and they do that by building a fence around it. Uh, They demand behaviour from people that God himself doesn't ask of them. Uh, And it's heavy and wearisome and worse, they don't do anything to help them to keep it. And I think that's something that still happens today. Uh, so to give you a classic example, Footloose. It's, a, it's the plot of Footloose, isn't it? The youth of the town fight to throw off the heavy burden of not being allowed to dance. Uh, a supposedly Christian rule uh, that they haven't actually got from the Bible. And as I say, that full disclosure, I've never seen Footloose, but I'm pretty sure that's the plot. Is it? No one else has seen Footloose? Trust me, it's the plot. Uh, Now that's a bit of a silly example. Uh, Sadly, it's based on something that's actually true. There were lots of towns that really did ban dancing because it was unchristian. Now that's probably not one you're going to encounter in Morissette. I haven't heard of any uh, calls to ban dancing. Uh, But I've no doubt that you have come across some extra rules that people try to impose on others. Uh, and treat them as though they're salvation issues. Uh, Christians shouldn't eat meat. Christians can't drink alcohol. Christians must use the King James Version. See, all of those are real choices that you are very free to make, but none of them are biblically required. They're heavy burdens placed on people unnecessarily. Uh, And the next few verses show us the Pharisees' motivation Uh, in these heavy burdens, uh, that they have an interest in elevating themselves above others. Um, So have a look with me, verses 5 to 12. reads, Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, everything the Pharisees do is done for people to see. That's their motivation. They've lost sight of God and worry only about how they're perceived by people. 
They make their phylacteries wide. Uh, now, you probably haven't heard of those before, unless you talked about it at home group. Uh, uh, to- totally understandable. They're not a very common thing. Uh, but a phylactery is this. There's a picture, a little box that kind of straps to your forehead. Uh, and inside it contains little bits of the Torah, little bits of Scripture. Uh, and the Jews at the time would wear them uh, in their morning prayers. And, it, and the idea was to remind them to keep the law. Uh, it actually comes from a passage in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, the passage goes like this. Uh, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as, a symbol, as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. See, the point of it was finding ways to remind them to pay attention to God's word in the Bible. But somehow these Pharisees, uh, they've turned it almost comical, haven't they? Uh, it becomes a competition. Who can get the biggest box on their forehead? You can uh, imagine how ridiculous it must be. It, it could have been how long they wear it in, in the translation rather than how big, but I like to think big because uh, that's more comical for me. Um, uh, but this thing that is supposed to remind them of God has become this competition about elevating themselves above other people. Uh, and the tassels that it mentions are exactly the same. Uh, it comes from another Old Testament passage. Uh, these tassels were supposed to serve as a reminder uh, to help them to keep thinking of God. Uh, and instead, these long tassels become a way to elevate themselves instead of elevating God. Even the titles we take can be dangerous, can't they? Rabbi, father, minister, reverend. Uh, Now, I'm not actually sure uh, what technically makes someone a reverend. Uh, I know that I grew up in a Sydney Anglican church uh, and somehow uh, when you're a minister there, reverend seemed to get slapped onto your name. Uh, Actually, cursed grandfather, whenever he used to send us letters, would address it to Reverend Rob Warner because he knew I worked for a church. Uh, He was the only one who ever called me reverend. Uh, Now, I think it's pretty ridiculous. Um, And so do, I think, most reverends. Anyone I've met who's got that rev typically thinks, how silly, please don't call me that. Um, But some do cling to it. Some hold on to it, insist that you use their proper title. See, somewhere along the line, they've forgotten the point of their position, just like the Pharisees had. That it's not about elevating yourself, it's about elevating God. He's the point. Uh, we've seen it time and time again throughout the last few chapters that we're to humble ourselves, to put ourselves last, to elevate others in the service of God. The Pharisees here are the opposite, aren't they? And so Jesus says they'll be humbled, they'll be made last despite their attempts to be first. They're so wrapped up in themselves that they've missed what serving God is all about. At its heart, that's what hypocrisy does to Christians. It turns faithfully serving God into serving yourself. It makes you try and look like you've got it all together. So you're elevated in the view of others. And if that's what you're on about, then it becomes easy to cut corners, doesn't it? You only have to be seen to be doing the right thing instead of actually doing it. That's what we call a Sunday Christian, isn't it? Someone who makes sure they look the part, but only when they need to, and it's only skin deep. And so we've seen the heart of the problem. Um, This 
desire to be seen by men, to elevate yourself above others. Uh, And so we come to the second point, the seven woes that Liam read out for us. Uh, And as we look through these seven fruits of their hypocrisy, uh, we'll see that this problem of hypocrisy leads to some pretty dire results in the way that they live their lives. Now, Liam, I think, did a pretty good job of reading that out. Uh, So I won't reread them all. It's a a pretty long section. I'll kind of give you the highlights package. You'll get my little summary of the woe as we go. Uh, And so the first two woes uh, show us that this hypocrisy of theirs has led others away from God, not just themselves, but others. Uh, So woe to you. You shut the door of heaven in people's faces. Woe to you. You go to great effort to convert them to be a child of hell. See, because these Pharisees themselves are so far from the kingdom of heaven, and they lead others down that exact same path. These two woes are short and simple, aren't they? It doesn't matter how much effort they go to if they're leading leading them to something other than Jesus. It's leading them in the wrong direction. And so woe to them. Judgment is coming. Uh, The next woes we see show that the Pharisees' hypocrisy has corrupted their teaching and their conduct. So they're leading others astray. Uh, Their behaviour is going bad. Uh, We see it there. Woe to you. Uh, And this whole section of false teaching on oaths. Woe to you. Uh, You tithe in detail, but have no justice, mercy or faithfulness. Uh, They've let their desire to look the part as someone following the law steer them away from the whole intention of the law. Uh, the first one reflects something that we see in the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, we actually get a whole sermon on just that bit if you want to jump on the, the website and find it uh, and you can get a bit more detail. Uh, but, but really, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus tells us, stop mucking around with oaths. You've missed the point. Just let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Uh, and as a little side note here, uh, maybe you've noticed as we flip through these woes, Uh, they're essentially the flip side of the Sermon on the Mount, aren't they? Uh, The Sermon on the Mount was all about getting your heart right rather than the letter of the law. And and this is the opposite. The Pharisees just don't care about their hearts. All they care is to be seen, to be doing the right thing, to look the part on the surface. Uh, And so you have these ridiculous details that they list on things that you can swear by and still not actually keep your oath. They've built an oath system to give them ways to lie and get away with it. How ridiculous is that? And so Jesus calls them blind fools. Because not only are they a long way from the heart that God calls them to have, uh, they're bringing others down this path with them. The blind leading the blind. And we see it again in the way that they tithe. That word tithe means to give 10% of your income to God. And they do it to a ridiculous level, far more than God intended for them to. See, the intent was to make sure they were being generous to God. Uh, And it was really just intended to be for your main kind of crops, your main kind of income. Uh, But here we see the Pharisees go above and beyond. They tithe everything, down to the mint and the cumin and the dill. But they've missed the point. The point is to be generous with God. To use what he's given you to faithfully serve his purpose. They've tithed their mint and ignored the mercy that God wants them to have. And it's probably uh, Jesus pointing them to the words from Micah, so chapter 6, verse 8, which says, 
He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. There's a great image in there. I don't know if you picked it up. uh, That they strain out gnats and swallow a camel. I think Jesus really likes using camels to make these comical extreme points. Uh, They get this little thing of tithing their herbs uh, more than right. But they miss the whole point of the thing. The justice, the mercy, the faithfulness. They look the part, but on the inside they are far, far from where they should be. Not only have these blind guides missed the point, but they've dragged others down with them. Uh, Now my auntie... Auntie Jenny, her name is. Uh, she is mostly blind and she just got a, a guide dog. Uh, very exciting. Uh, this is the guide dog here. Her name's Tasha. Uh, she's only had it for a couple of weeks uh, and already she's been fantastic. Taking her on the right routes, taking her where she needs to go, uh, leading my auntie around. And that's how you want your guide dog to be, isn't it? Um, but I noticed as I looked at the, the photo that she put up of Tasha's graduation... Uh, There's a whole bunch of dogs that she graduated with. uh, And some of those dogs look just like my dog, Panther. There you go. That's my dog. That's Panther over there. And they look really similar, don't they? But you want to be clear, don't you? See, Panther looks a lot like those guide dogs. Panther is not a guide dog. She's a lovely dog, probably not the kind of dog you'd put in the clever category, the kind of cleverness that you'd need to get through guide dog school. Uh, She's a great dog, man's best friend, I'd happily call her that. But if you strapped a blind person to Panther, I'd give him maybe 10 minutes of life left. That's probably being pretty generous. Uh, Now perhaps that's a silly illustration, but it's no less true. These Pharisees, these scribes, they look the part. But they are totally unfit for the role. They are unfit to lead their followers toward God. They lead them instead on a deadly path, away from God, away from his way and away from his salvation. Uh, And next two woes again fit together as a nice pair. Uh, Woe to you, you clean the outside of your cup but not the inside. Woe to you. You are whitewashed tombs, but dead inside. Now, it's a great image. Uh, They're like cups, but they've only bothered to clean the outside. Uh, They look great, but inside they're mucky and gross. You can imagine it, can't you? You can imagine you wouldn't pick up that cup, would you? Uh, As Jesus pointing out the lengths they go to to make sure they're ritually clean, they wash their hands in just the right way, they eat the right foods, but inside they are anything but clean. They're like whitewashed tombs. They look lovely on the outside, well-maintained, beautiful. But inwardly, they're dead. (coughs) Scathing, isn't it? Jesus is not pulling any punches. He calls them greedy, self-indulgent, full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And the last way. Woe to you. You participate with your ancestors who murdered prophets. In this last way, he points out that they claim a kinship with the prophets of old uh, who were rejected and killed by their ancestors. 
Uh, and they claim they would have accepted them, that, that they would have treated them right. And we see the irony, don't we? What will come next? The ultimate prophet, Jesus, they'll crucify him. Uh, his disciples, as they carry out the Great Commission, will be beaten and killed. Uh, so after all these woes, we see the judgment. The blood of those that God has sent will be on their hands. From Abel, uh, the first righteous one who was killed, to Zechariah. And that Zechariah is probably, but debatably, the Zechariah who was stoned to death in the book of Chronicles. Uh, Two Chronicles. Two Chronicles is the last book in the Hebrew Bible. And it's just encompassing all the old prophets. Jesus tells them that this judgment will come upon this generation. Um, Now, I'm not going to say too much about the judgment. I'm going to leave that for Liam. He gets to preach on chapter 24 next week. Um, But I will give you uh, just a couple of things. Um, I think that historically we really clearly see this judgment come on that generation in two particular ways. Um, The first one is on the cross. Um, Now that may sound a little bit odd to talk about the cross as their judgment, uh, this thing that is our salvation. Um, But for those who reject Jesus, the cross is condemnation. Because for those who reject Jesus, their sins aren't forgiven. And it's at that point that the Jews are rejected as God's chosen nation. Uh, And instead, God's people are those who come to him through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Uh, And so that is the Pharisees' judgment. Uh, We also see it uh, in a really tangible expression of what's going on uh, in the lifetime of those Pharisees. In AD 70, uh, not too long after Jesus, the temple will be destroyed. Never to be rebuilt. Because that's not how God dwells with us anymore. Um, Now I don't know about you, but but all of that, I reckon, is pretty heavy going. Uh, And as we see all that, I reckon it's pretty tempting to see the Pharisees, to see just how messed up they are, and they were, they were messed up, uh, and to look at them and to say, that's that's not me. I'm not... Killing prophets, I'm not, I'm not in that camp. Uh, and so uh, we're going to spend a briefer moment uh, looking at ourselves, looking at what, how does this kind of hypocrisy creep into our lives? How can we be uh, tempted to, to go even a little way along that path? And it's true, uh, I think, no one here is a Pharisee, pretty sure. Uh, I haven't seen anyone wearing a phylactery. I haven't even noticed any tassels tonight. That's interesting, isn't it? What are you guys doing? Where's your reminders? But I think it's also fair to say uh, that none of us are immune from the dangers of hypocrisy. Uh, we've seen lots of results. Even uh, in FIEC, we've some, seen some big moments of hypocrisy. That's uh, a scary thing. All of us will be tempted to try and uh, give an image of how we're going with Jesus that's different to the reality. When someone asks you, how's your Bible reading going? Uh, and even though it's been pretty terrible, you say, oh, it's, it's fine. That's hypocrisy, isn't it? might be a low level compared to what the Pharisees are doing, but it's hypocrisy and it's dangerous. Uh, and I think in many ways it's getting harder for us. Uh, and I say that uh, because of social media. Think about how social media works, uh, which is such a massive chunk of our culture these days. Uh, Social media is largely geared around presenting the very best version of yourself. 
Uh, it's you know, hashtag I love my life, hashtag blessed. Uh, we show the good stuff and we hide the bad. Don't we do that same thing in our Christian lives? It's so easy to worry more about looking the part than actually living it. Uh, I think it often starts out of guilt uh, or, or even not wanting to discourage others. Uh, I think actually that's a big one. We, we tell ourselves, I, I don't want to bring other people down. I don't want to discourage them. Uh, uh, and so I don't, don't want them to see how bad I've been going lately. It'll, we tell ourselves it will damage their faith. Uh, but deep down we know the reality. We're not really protecting them. We're protecting ourselves from shame. And I think this behaviour can pretty quickly become a mask that we wear. Uh, A mask that we put on whenever we're around other Christians. Uh, And when it's full blown, it'll stop. Uh, It'll stop us focusing on our hearts at all. Uh, And we'll just worry about making sure that we look the part that we're seen to be doing the right things. And like we've seen with the Pharisees, it's got a huge potential to derail us, doesn't it? It can corrupt our teaching and our conduct. It can cause us to bring others off track with us. The tithing thing, I think that's a great example, isn't it? The Pharisees made sure to be seen to go above and beyond the letter of the law. But their greed stopped them from having the hearts that God was really after. They stopped giving at the point where people would no longer notice. They did the bit to be seen, but the unseen bit they cut. See, think about for us. Talking about how much you give is a taboo topic, isn't it? We don't uh, talk about it. If I pick someone out and ask them how much they give, you'd be horrified, wouldn't you? It's not a social norm. Let Let me pick someone out now. Ah... Makes you sweat, doesn't it? I wouldn't really do that. Uh, but, but you were sweating at the thought, weren't you? Perhaps I would be. Because that's something our culture tells us not to share. Uh, and don't misunderstand me. I think there's really good reasons to not share. Jesus, in fact, uh, tells us to do our giving in secret. Because uh, there's a, a great temptation to share, to elevate ourselves. Uh, so we have to be careful. Uh, I say that uh, not to try and make you share, but to make a point. See, what I'm getting at is that because our giving is not something that other people see, uh, we don't feel as compelled to give, do we? Uh, And so we don't do it in abundance. People don't know what we give and so we're less generous. That's not true of all of us, but that's a temptation, isn't it? I think the principle is generally true. On those things that people don't see, uh, we worry much less about getting them right. And that's the cleaning the outside of the cup and not the inside. That's what that looks like. And we need to be incredibly careful of our tendency to focus only on those things that will be seen by others. Uh, And so we're going to finish now. Uh, We're going to do that by thinking about what we can do about it. How can we work against this temptation towards hypocrisy of just looking the part? Uh, And I think a great place to start that process is with with one of the parables that Jesus taught. Uh, The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, And I think he told that parable with with just this kind of situation in mind. 
Uh, It's a really short and simple parable. You've probably heard it before. Um, It's from Luke 18. Let me read it out again anyway. Jesus says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Um, Now, like I said before, we need to be careful not to assume that because we're not this inflated version of the problem, that we're fine. Um, I don't expect any of us here are having an internal monologue quite like the Pharisee. Uh, You're probably not sitting there talking to yourself saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like Liam. (laughs) I like to take every chance I can. Uh, I don't think anyone's got that monologue going on, pretty sure. Uh, But I do think that we're tempted to measure ourselves not by God's measure, but by how people see us. To let the question that drives us be about how will I look to others? And if that's what we're acting on, then we've got a problem. The question is, whose name are we making great? Are we investing in our name, in our reputation, how we look compared to others? Or are we focused on God's name, on elevating that? We worry about how people see us, but we do, do we worry as much about how great God's name is? And how our lives reflect that. Uh, So I want to give us three things to finish. Three things to help us to stay on track. To remind us who we're really living for. Uh, Three things that I hope will help us not to fall into this trap of hypocrisy. Uh, And the three things are these. Firstly, to know where your worth is. Secondly, don't major on the minors. And thirdly, share your struggles. Um, Now the first is to make sure that we never forget the simple truth that our value is found in Jesus. Uh, It's an easy thing to forget, isn't it? It's easy to find our value in how we look to others. We've talked about that. Uh, And so we we shape our behaviour and our priorities around making sure we look like we're doing okay. Uh, We tend to want to look like we've got it all together uh, because we want people to think of us as though we're on top of things. Um, but, but here's the thing to remember. People are easy to fool. Uh, it's easy to talk the talk uh, and appear to walk the walk so that people look at us and think, wow, they're doing well. It's like Instagram, isn't it? It's easy to show people just a little snippet, a, a photo here and a photo there to make it look good, yeah. even though all these other bits that they don't see are an absolute disaster. But I want to say, it's a really stressful way to live, isn't it? It's a heavy mask. Uh, and worse than that, it, it might, though it might fool people, it doesn't fool God. See, he sees the reality. He sees through our mask. He sees our struggles. He sees our mistakes. He sees our very worst moments. But along with that comes some pretty incredible news. He sees our struggles, he sees our mistakes, 
And he still loves us. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, not because we have it under control, but because we don't. There's no need to pretend otherwise. That's the message of Christianity, isn't it? We need grace and God is holding it out for us. It's permission to stop pretending, to take off the mask, and it's an incredibly freeing thing to do. We need to remember that. That's where our value is. Our value comes not in getting things right. It comes in Jesus doing it for us. And so we need to embrace the freedom that that brings. Embrace what Jesus has done for us. Find our value there. Uh, The second one there uh, is to stop majoring on the minors. See, if we're caught up in trying to look the part, we'll focus only on the the behaviour that makes that obvious. But we'll miss the point. We'll follow the rule, but we'll miss out on following Jesus. That's what the Pharisees did with their tithing, wasn't it? Uh, They reduced being generous to God to this 10% that people look at uh, and missed out on the whole point of the thing. What things do we ignore because people don't see them? I mentioned how we use our money. Uh, Perhaps that's one to think about. Maybe it's how much time do you spend in your Bible because no one else sees how we're going. It it might be your evangelism. Uh, We're all called to go and make disciples. And and it's an easy one to forget about uh, because people don't tend to know how we're doing with that. So we need to give ourselves to living for God in all of our lives. Uh, Be extra wary of those parts that are unseen because they're the parts that will be tempted to slip on. And they're the parts that show where a heart is really at. Lastly, I want to encourage you to share your struggles. Um, Part of trying to look the part is that we become unwilling to share with people when we're finding things hard because we don't want people to see our failures, our weaknesses. Uh, And though it might protect our reputation... Uh, it actually strips away one of the most wonderful parts about belonging to God's family. Uh, The support that helps us battle through those struggles. When we hide our struggles, it makes us feel isolated and alone. And more than that, it makes other people with the same struggles feel like they're also isolated and alone. But God has given us a family to help us through those times. All of us have messy parts to our lives. It's part of being human. It's inescapable. It just comes with the territory. When we pretend uh, that we don't have those messy bits, we're not really fooling anyone. Uh, We're just making it harder to get through them. Uh, Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to make a public announcement every time you go through a rough patch, but I do think you need to be willing to share. Uh, It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to start if the culture isn't there already. If no one else is sharing, then then we're afraid to do the same. Uh, We're afraid to make ourselves vulnerable. Uh, And so it's important for us to remember, as people share with us, we need to be sensitive. We need to care. We need to remember that life is messy, that we're all uh, going through the same struggles. I encourage you to home groups. Home groups is a great place to start that practice of vulnerability. Having a small group where you can get to know one another better, uh, where you can open up a little bit more, can be a really helpful thing. Maybe that's too scary in itself. Uh, Maybe you just need to find one person, one person that you can talk to and be honest about things. 
But if you can, if you can open up and share, uh, it will literally break the back of hypocrisy. I had to get one comic book thing in. Spain breaking Batman's bat. When we share, it breaks the back of hypocrisy. Think about it. It's the death blow. See, when someone knows how you're really going, hypocrisy doesn't work anymore, does it? There's no false mask. There's no illusion when people see what's really happening. Taking off that mask is an incredibly freeing thing. But it isn't easy. Uh, It's putting yourself in a vulnerable position. It's opening yourself up, letting people see the messy bits. Uh, But it is the surest way to fight against hypocrisy. Uh, And so I want to encourage us to do that. I want us to be a church uh, that can be vulnerable, that we can grow in our humility, that we'd be a church who focuses not on making our own names great, but on making God's name great. I'm going to pray uh, that that would be who we are. Lord, I want to thank you. Uh, I thank you for these words. Uh, Lord, though it's harsh, uh, though we see the, the terrible failures of the Pharisees, Uh, Lord, help us to see our tendency to the same. Lord, help us to see uh, where we might be slipping, where we're tempted to put on that mask. Lord, help us to be a church who shares, who opens up, who, who allows people to be messy. And help us to grow in that. Help us to work hard together to push one another on in our faith and our trust of you. Lord, we thank you for this warning and we pray that we would take it on with two hands. And we pray that in Jesus' great name. Amen.